Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, where you'll get the latest trends and business initiatives that help your law firm every day. Hear from the experts setting the standards for the legal, insurance, and law enforcement industries. The Legal Toolkit is brought to you by Catuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription, a New England-based business serving the legal community nationwide since 1966. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network. This is Jared Korea. Thanks for listening today. I'm uh, the Law Practice Management Advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP, providing free and confidential consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP, like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash MassLOMAP and check out our blog. Type LOMAP blog into Google and it'll be your first entry. The Legal Toolkit is brought to you by the good people at Catuno Court Reporting. To find out more about Catuno services, visit www.catuno.cc. Here on the Legal Toolkit, we're set to provide you every month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices can become more and more representative of best practices. This time around, we're going to take a look at the use of software as a service in the legal field. Software as a service being more commonly known by the abbreviation SAAS. Joining me today on the show, we're lucky to have Larry Port. Larry's the founding partner and chief software architect for Rocket Matter, an online legal practice management and time and billing software solution for attorneys. Larry, welcome to the Legal Toolkit. We're glad to have you. Glad to be here. Excellent. All right. So let's just jump in with the questions because that's what we do here. Small talk is not what I'm about. Larry, what does SAAS mean and how is it different from the cloud in quotation marks or ASP? Right. Okay. So uh, SAAS or software as a service, um, we industry folks uh, pronounce it as SAS, uh, which rhymes with class. And basically, it's all about consuming software online. If, if you were going to say it in one sentence, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And that's different than a way a lot of people consume software currently because, you know, the, the traditional model is the, what we call shrink wrap software. You buy it off the shelf, install it on your computer, and you use it. So you pay a one-time fee, typically, and you install your software and you're up and running. So uh, with the software as a service model or the SaaS model, uh, it's just that. Instead of a shrink wrap product that you buy and take home from the store, you're using the software exactly as a service, like you'd use electricity. Hmm. So you pay you know, a fee every month, and you access your software through a browser, and that's how you go about doing your business. So, and in terms of, uh, you know, this is not a new idea, but some of these names are kind of new and some of these names are kind of old. And, and that's what we're dealing with when people talk about SaaS and they talk about the cloud and, and ASPs. Mm-hmm. So ASPs uh, were kind of the first iteration of this. Jared, do you remember ASPs back in the day? Probably not. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> well, a young fella. <laughs> They came, they, they came about kind of in uh, 1999-2000, in, in, in kind of the early days of the internet when people I, started... I was like eight back then. <laughs> you were eight, eight years old. Okay. Right. No, no, not cool. really. I'm just kidding. But... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, um, so yeah, so they, come, they came about back then, and it, they were called Application Service Providers. That's what ASP stands for. And, and really, the difference between all of these things, ASPs, clouds, is, is stuff that's not visible to the consumer. Uh, they're technical details that are kind of left to us uh, software engineers. 
And um, they, they, they talk a lot about how uh, computing works, um, how the servers are arranged, and, and how the computational resources such as memory and, and uh, CPU cycles are allocated. So it's very kind of technical, these, these, these distinctions. But uh, the bottom line is that they all kind of serve the same need, and cloud computing or the cloud and SaaS are now synonymous with online delivery of software. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it sounds like from the consumer side, all they really need to know is that they're accessing what would be traditional software in a different way? Yes, that's all the consumer really needs to know about. Uh, I mean, to be quite honest, a lot of these other distinctions are, um, you know, I don't want to call them hair splitting because they're major distinctions from a technical side, but they're really stuff that people don't need to be concerned with. You're exactly right. It's, it's the concept of being able to take your computing resources from inside your office and move them outside your office. And the analog from the electricity days is when, way back when, you had windmills powering the office and you had... Or, well, powering the factory, rather, I guess, and you had water wheels, and, and everybody was responsible for their own power generation and distributing that power across all the machines in the factory. Well, mm-hmm. today's modern factory is the modern office, and instead of uh, you know on-site power represented by windmills and, and whatnot, we have on-site computing where you have servers and stuff. So the cloud and software as a service is very much like that in that those resources are being moved outside of the office and used as a utility, most likely through your browser. And this, mm-hmm. this idea, this comparison between electrical grids and uh, cloud computing and software as a service is actually um, talked about quite eloquently in the book, The Big Switch, which is one I recommend mm-hmm. by Nicholas Carr. Great. I, that, that's a good analogy. I, I think that really breaks it down and brings it home for people. So let's talk about specific SAS applications or SaaS applications. Um, what kind of these applications are available for legal professionals? Well, the good news is, is that more and more of these SaaS applications are uh, available now for legal. I guess the question is why people might want to move there too. And, and there's a whole host of reasons, but one of the one of the reasons, if you think about it, is that if you can use a software-as-a-service application, that means that you can access it from any machine with Internet access, which means that, A, it frees you up from a hardware device, right? So you can use a Mac or PC, and you can use it from any location. So that opens it up to telecommuters or flex-time workers. And uh, it, it just gives people a lot of freedom in how they want to operate. So... Let's break down, and, and maybe we should probably have a back and forth about this, about like the actual legal um, applications that people can use. But let me start with a couple of simple ones. Okay, email, right? So mm-hmm. the way that a lot of people use email is that they might host their own exchange service in their their own exchange server in their office. Um, so you don't have to do that anymore. Right now, you can do uh, you can use a managed exchange service. And and if you're an attorney and you're worried about client attorney privilege and confidential information being passed about, I would look hard at how you're handling email. And mm-hmm. you may be able to do a better job by outsourcing it to a managed exchange service or another service like that that does the email for you. Google Apps for your domain is one of them. Um, there's a there's a place called the Message Center that specializes in mobile exchange. So you, you're kind of better off 
leaving that to the experts, letting them do that. They're usually low monthly fees. You don't have to worry about having an IT guy come and worry about your servers and your server upgrades and things of that nature. And email is notoriously tricky to get right. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I would tend to look at those services versus a commodity email that you may get, a commodity email service that you might get through a website hosting service such as GoDaddy or HostMonster, because you'll get a little bit in the more in the way of flexibility and security with hosted exchange servers. Right. Um, so, you know of any like law practice management softwares that might be available through SaaS? You know, I've been <laughs> looking for one. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Um, when uh, so so Rocket Matter, the you know our company is um, does offer legal practice management and time and billing in a SaaS model. And it does it over the web, and it was it was it was kind of striking uh, when we first started up, um, you know, a couple of years ago. In actually, when the idea first came up in 2006, it, it came up because a lot of our law firms were talking. You know, I wish I had some sort of way on the web to kind of organize my law practice. And so we looked around, and we could not believe that there really were no alternatives. So we went out and we um, set about building this kind of thing. So. Uh, you know, we built Rocket Matter, uh, which has the ability to uh, do traditional practice management and time and billing. So it does invoicing, calendaring, time tracking, matter management, CRM, things of those sort. And you know, and since we've come live, we have uh, a couple of uh, web-based uh, brethren in this space. There's a yep. company called Clio. There's a company called Advologics. And uh, when I've talked to some of these guys, they'd be like, "Yeah, we couldn't believe it. They more or less." came into being at the same time as us, and they had the same reaction. We could not believe at that point in time that there was no web-based uh, practice management time and billing solution for the legal vertical. Because at that point, there was, you know, there'd been online banking, there's been online trading, there has, you know, Salesforce was out and up and running, there was online human resource and payroll applications. There was very, very, very sensitive data taking place in SaaS applications online at that point, and it, for some reason, it hadn't hit the legal vertical. So, practice management and time of billing, yes. <laughs> yep. I mean, I mean, it sounds like um, anything you could do for software, essentially, you could do on an, on a SaaS model. And if it's not here already, it sounds like it's probably coming. Yeah. And in, in fact, there's things available to uh, lawyers that they probably don't realize in a SaaS model. I'll, I'll give you an example, and that's hosted PBX. So, you know, the PBX service is uh, a phone service that allows you to manage your extensions and call queues and phone trees and all sorts of things to allow you to have a professional business sounding, you know, phone entity, you know, Mm. thank you for calling movie phone, press one, you know, that kind of thing, right? So this used to be a fortune. And what you would have to do is you'd have to get some guy to install it. You'd have to get some sort of system, and it would cost you like $12,000. And then about maybe five years ago, voice over IP came along. You would still have to have installed voice over IP in your office, but then uh, that brought the price down to about $6,000. Now, you can pay practically peanuts. We use a service called phone.com for our hosted PBX solutions. So we record our messages. In fact, we're going through a process right now where we're having somebody else re-record them and improve them and upload them. And then we just point them to whatever phones we have. You can point them to cell phones, landlines. You can point them to uh, Skype in numbers. 
It's just so unbelievably flexible, and it also gives you the 1-800 numbers and those, that kind of portabilities. It really gives a professional polish and continuity for your business um, that you wouldn't get if you're just a solo practitioner or a small business owner just uh, handing out a cell phone number. So that's another example of um, a hosted solution. I, I guess um, one thing we should talk about probably is uh, the document storage that's online right now, because... Um, I mean, you're probably aware of, like, this space right now is just absolutely exploding in terms of uh, being able to, like, put your documents on a hosted SaaS model, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you want to give some examples of that, feel free. Yeah, I, I think, you know, because we do some document management and document storage mm-hmm. uh, with Rocket Matter, but there's some dedicated applications that are quite amazing. And the ones that come to mind are... Dropbox, Box.net, and SugarSync. Now, I haven't used uh, Box.net and SugarSync that much, but I have used Dropbox, and it's quite astounding because what it does is it allows you to uh, identify folders on your computer that you want synchronized with Dropbox. So what happens is, is that if you add a file to one of those folders or if you delete a file on one of those folders, then your, your Dropbox in the cloud gets updated. And then you can go to another device uh, and log in with your Dropbox ID and have a mirrored copy of what's on your other machine. So all of your machines can be completely in sync with your documents, which has is, which is been a problem that people have had. And so uh, it's a very good thing for law firms that are dealing with a lot of different office locations and a lot of different documents. Yeah, that sounds tremendous. A lot of options out there. So let's, let's talk a little bit about background here. Now, where does the data input uh, go. Where does where where's the software actually live and what happens with the data? Well, there's this guy named Eddie and he has a, this <laughs> jacket with all these different pockets and he just has thumb drives where he stores uh, everybody's data in it. Actually, he must be good. Okay. Yeah, he's, Eddie's pretty good. <laughs> so, all right. Um, data and software and service. So, let's put it this way. I would encourage anyone, if they have the opportunity to go see a data center, Data center has a very boring name, and what it, but it's, it's a remarkably amazing place. I've, I've, I've toured a couple. The most impressive one that I've seen is uh, one down here that we have in Miami. Um, let me paint a picture of what these things are, right? A data center is a building with a lot of Internet connectivity and a lot of servers. So... It's more impressive than that, though, because if you imagine what it would take to keep these things alive and redundant, it's, it's quite a bit. Uh, I mean, if you've noticed, there haven't been major Internet interruptions in, you know, basically since we've been using it. I mean, we've yeah. had some, like, worm attacks or viruses, but, like, you know, ever since, like, everybody came on board the web in, like, 1994, there haven't been major interruptions. So why is this? Well, the reason is is that because these data centers are pretty much the different nodes on the Internet that connects all the different machines. And so they'll have, like, in the case of uh, this one in Miami, which is the Terramark building, which is formerly called the NAT of the Americas, or network, mm-hmm. network access point of the Americas, they'll have about eight different internet communications providers going in there. So they'll have like AT&T and Verizon and different things, and they'll hand off the traffic from one side to another. So if one of those pipes gets down for whatever reason, there's you know a lot more redundancy involved. And I don't have the specific numbers on Terramark 
but they have multiple, not only are they multiple feeds of internet, but they come usually in at different geographic locations into the building. So one might come from the north side, one might come from the east side, so on and so forth. So you have that level. And then on top of that, you they'll be fed on three different power grids. So they'll have electricity provided by three different electrical providers. And then they'll have um, backup generator supply for 14 days. Um, and as you can imagine, in uh, Miami, which is uh, prone to kind of hurricanes, as I'm a little bit well too aware, this building is rated for, uh, you know, 150-mile-per-hour winds or higher. I mean, it looks like a very ugly thing from the outside because it's got seven-inch thick concrete with reinforced steel going around the entire building. None of the servers are on the ground floor. They're all 30 feet off the ground, so you have to go up steps. And to get into this building, you have to go through, like, an airport security device just to get into the building. And this is very typical for data centers. So uh, Probably safer than someone's local office, I would imagine. It's a so, little safer than someone's <laughs> local office. I mean, cause, so, so once you get through the um, – once you get frisked by the people, then you kind <laughs> of uh, – I mean, we got led by a tour guide, and they didn't let us out of our, their sites for a while. You can't just walk around these places. So she accessed the, uh, the server floor by, with, like, a biometric hand scan, kind of like from, uh, you know, Minority Report or – AI or whatever it is. So, yeah. um, you know, so we're walking around the server floor and it's just, we saw there, we saw there was a, they have one of the root DNS servers, which is, if you know about the internet, um, a DNS is domain name search, which it means that ultimately every website has an IP address behind it, a, a numerical code that tells the internet where to find the machine and DNS. So if you type in like, uh, you know, rocketmatter.com, uh, DNS will translate that to those numbers. Now, mm-hmm. it, there's a hierarchy of these machines, and there's only a, 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 a small handful of root machines that have the ultimate answers to where all the, how all of the domain names reside, and they had one there. So when I saw one of these servers, I kind of felt like praying to it a little bit. So, you know, <laughs> these data centers really are the backbone of the Internet, and that's where uh, – that's the physical presence that they're that, – that data centers provide and where SaaS information is. Now, I mean, well, let's uh, we let's actually take a break here for a second, Larry, and uh, we'll come back and we'll we'll address some security issues um, as to how data is kept. So we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll return to this discussion of uh, SaaS in the legal field with Rocket Matters, Larry Port. Catuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription have been providing innovative dictation at transcription services since 1966. Our patented technologies and compliance solutions continue to set the standard for the legal community. Find out more about how we can create your legal toolkit at catuno.cc. That's C-A-T-U-O-G-N-O dot C-C or call 888-228-8646. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. 
That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to the Legal Toolkit on the Legal Talk Network. Today I'm joined by Larry Port, who's the founding partner and chief software architect for Rocket Matter. Larry was just telling us about data centers. So, Larry, what else do SAS companies do to protect sensitive data? Uh, well, first of all, you need to find out if it's uh, there are security policies uh, for each provider, and, and that's part of the due diligence when selecting a SaaS provider. But typically, a good SaaS provider will engineer their code from the ground up with security concerns in mind. There's a number of common web attacks that they need to defend against. Some of those are SQL injection, cross-site scripting. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the typical web attacks that they might have. In addition, you're going to want to ensure that any confidential information that you exchange online is done the same way a bank would do it or your online trading software would do it, which is over SSL, which is encryption. And you want to look for at least 128-bit encryption. You want to make sure that um, the authority that authorizes the uh, validity of the encryption, it's called a, it's called a certificate. You want to make yep. sure that that is something that you recognize, whether it's thought or verisign or, or, or you know, something that's not a problem. Um, the other thing that they, in terms of security, another thing that SaaS providers provide is the actual data security itself. So you want to make sure that you know the data center is has you know has the surveillance, has you know protected uh, uh, physical access to the machines, and you want to make sure that the SaaS provider is backing up the data. You need to find out how that's happening. And, and ideally, the SaaS provider is backing up their data to multiple locations geographically. So even though the servers may be located in one location, there's another copy, let's say, uh, across uh, the coast, across the breadth of the country, so that you know that should something happen to that location, that your data is safe somewhere else. So some of the, those are some of the basic security concerns that you should have covered. How about uh, lawyers who want to use SASS products? Um, Can you recommend any best practices for them? Certainly. So, you know, the the first thing is to do your due diligence. Um, You need to find out the basics. Because of your ethical obligations, you need to find out the security and, and, um, you know, how each SaaS provider handles their information. Definitely look at the terms of service. Make sure that that you own your own data. Make sure that you have confidentiality there, that they're not going to use your data for any reason. So, I mean, you know, use your legal skills and look at those documents. Um, (laughs) That's why we all went to law school. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I I think for lawyers, I think that's of importance when selecting an actual provider. I think, you know, you need to uh, take a look at your own practice and see how you operate. Um, you know, some people um, might especially be right for a SaaS solution if you're in multiple locations, if you work from home a lot, you know, if you use different types of machines in your office, if you're a Mac PC office, allows you guys all to be on the same platform, you know, and, and it, I would also take a look at your IT costs and see how much they cost you on a yearly basis because you might save a lot of money moving to a SaaS solution. Yep. Now, any guidance from bar associations or ethical agencies on lawyers using SAS? Yes. Uh, originally, when we first came out, there wasn't really anything aside from decisions based on, you know, what uh, online backup services like Mosey or Carbonite and things like that. And, yeah, they, they kind of gave the okay to those things. And recently, uh, there was a North Carolina inquiry, uh, a proposed ethics opinion that I believe is going to be discussed coming up here this month. And basically, uh, they gave the blessing to software as a service, provided that 
lawyers answer uh, a series of due diligence questions before they uh, contract with the provider. So uh, the North, we actually have that on our blog, and we have some information on that, which I can share with you later. Um, so those que- we have those questions for people, but to be looking at North Carolina and their ethics opinion as kind of the the benchmark for for bar guidance on this subject. Right. Um, so let's go to, to a bottom line question here. Why do I want to use SaaS over straight software? Well, you would want to use SaaS over straight software for a number of different reasons. Uh, there's the business continuity angle, which I'm especially sensitive to living down here in Florida. So one of the reasons we did start Rocket Matter was to have this concern addressed. When you have your data offline, and you talk to anybody that is from New Orleans, uh, and they will echo this. When you have your data on uh, offline in your own office, you know, you're subject to what happens to your office. And as we've kind of seen in the past 10 years, a lot of crazy stuff has been happening. So whether it's, you know, terrorist attacks or, you know, hurricanes or, God forbid, any of these awful, awful scenarios, you need to have a disaster recovery and business continuity plan. And these days, there's really no excuse not to with all of the online tools. So when you go with a SaaS solution, you have an instant business continuity and backup plan because all you need to do is get to an internet connection and you can keep working. You don't have to, you don't lose your entire office. And I was just talking to Ernie, the attorney, if you want to hear about his experience with New Orleans and it changed him and how he practices. The other thing is just straight costs. You know, um, a lot of times there's overhead involved in maintaining servers, maintaining the security and patches for them. Uh, to be honest, a lot of people let in a lot of vulnerabilities last year with the corn sticker worm, which affected a lot of Windows computers that people didn't properly patch. So you avoid a lot of those problems by outsourcing your server responsibilities to the experts, which are the SaaS providers. So, you know, you don't have to pay for the IT costs. You don't have to worry about the security concerns. Um, You can run multiple different types of hardware in your uh, office. And probably the most overlooked uh, advantage to SaaS is mobile security. So setting up a mobile device with a SaaS product is a non-issue because uh, if it's web-based, then you can just access it over the web. And so that opens up, that means that you can use like a product like Rocket Matter, for example, on an iPhone, on a Droid or whatever. So the other advantages, and you talk to legal administrators at larger firms, is that it gets rid of this problem where if somebody loses or has their device stolen, then all of their sensitive data is at risk. Now, when you use a SaaS application, that's no longer a problem because that user's password is just removed, they're logged out, and the mobile device cannot access any sensitive information. So that solves a problem that has long been bedeviling administrators at, at law firms. That's great. That sounds like all tremendous advantages. I, I have to say, Larry, this has been a pleasure, and it was uh, sort of like a fine jazz ensemble. We were free form at the beginning here, but we locked down on several questions at the end, and uh, I don't know about <laughs> you, but I'm pretty spent. So that'll do it for this edition of the Legal Toolkit. Remember, you can check out all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. I'd like to spend a very special thank you to Larry Port for being with us today. So, Larry, if uh, our listeners want to find out more information about you or about Rocket Matter, how would they go about doing so? Well, Jared, thanks very much for having me. And uh, we're creating a special page for listeners of the show. If you go to info.rocketmatter.com slash cloud-computing, then we'll have some resources for you, articles that we've written about cloud computing that should help you too. Oh, you truly are a master marketer. Thank you. Uh, so 
<laughs> Finally, let's have a big thank you for our sponsor, Katuna Court Reporting. If you want more information about Katuna Court Reporting, visit www.katuno.cc. That's C-A-T-U-O-G-N-O dot C-C. Thanks, Larry, for joining us and everybody else. Come back next time around for another episode of Legal Toolkit. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Legal Toolkit. Brought to you by Katuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription, right here on the Legal Talk Network. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.